You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Uh, so far, what's gone on in the book of Genesis is God made the world from nothing. And we have a special account of how God made man and woman. And then last week... We experience the fall of humanity. It's where man and woman chose to go in opposition to God. Sin entered into the world, and then everything broke. Adam and Eve had uh, curses placed upon them. You know, the man had to work um, for food. The woman would have experienced pain and childbirth. There would be conflict between the snake and the serpent and the, and the woman and, the, and her children for all time. And then they're expelled from the Garden of Eden. And that's how the story ends at Genesis chapter 3. And then we pick up today in Genesis chapter 4, and we pick up with these people, um, again, their story continuing forward. It says, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. I'm going to stop there just ever so briefly. So Adam and Eve have left the garden. They've left paradise that God had prepared for them. And now they're going about doing the work that has to be done. Eve bears two sons, uh, Cain and Abel. And then um, Adam uh, assigns them specific jobs to make food happen. So Cain is a farmer. He's making um, work in the ground to produce fruit and uh, so that they'd have something to eat. And then Abel is a rancher, we'll say. He's out there working the flocks and uh, making sure that there's um, meat to be had for the family as well. Continuing on, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So we have the story, Cain and Abel, they're obviously grown enough to be working and producing, and they both, um, it's time for them to give an offering to the Lord. We don't know many details in this story because God didn't see fit to throw all the details in there. They're not uh, pertinent. We don't know what the sacrifice was for. Was it harvest time or was it something else? We have no idea, but it was offering time, and they come and they bring their offerings, and their offerings are described um, by the author of Genesis separately and in different ways. Cain, it simply says, brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. Cain just brought whatever he had, a piece of that, and gave it to God. If you read the book of Leviticus, which I've had the pleasure of doing over the last several weeks, uh, you'll see there's all sorts of offerings that are offered to God, a variety of them, and grain offerings are burned before God, and uh, it's a fragrant aroma. Grain offerings are acceptable offerings to God. Cain brings this offering 
um, to God. And then Abel likewise brings an offering. This is an animal sacrifice because that's what Abel was in the business of doing, was shepherding flocks and doing animal things. And so Abel brings it. But God gives a very specific description of Abel's sacrifice, where it just says Cain brought an offering from what he had. It says Abel brought, right, what does it say exactly? He says he brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Abel brought his very firstborn uh, uh, animals, and he brought of the fat of them. What that means is he gave the very best he had. Right, The firstborn was often set aside and devoted as, as special. And, and Cain said, this is the very, or Abel said, this is the very best I have. I'm going to give this to God. He gave the fat portions to God, the good stuff. You know, um, you, you, know you ever get a steak and there's absolutely no fat on it? Right? What is that? Why would someone do that to a steak? Right? You need a good marble going throughout the steak. You know, you know the fat is, is, is flavor, it's delicious. And so he brings the best that he has to God, and the offerings are described that way, right? Cain brings an offering, Abel brings his best offering, right? And now you would think any offering is good enough, right? Some offering, just bringing something of your own free will is good. But you know, not every gift is a good gift. You can imagine something in your life, right, where someone maybe gave you something and they didn't think at all about you. They just gave you something. And you're like, oh, thanks for this thing that I never wanted, never needed, and won't ever use, and now have to store somewhere in my house. Right? I remember it wasn't long after Shelly came into our house, she drew me a picture. And it was terrible. I mean, it was, it was terrible. It was awful. She put no effort, no time, no thought, and she handed it to me. And she said, here, uh, Dad, this is for you. Now, a good, loving, kind father would be like, oh, thank you so much, sweetie. This is so beautiful. But I just looked at it and said, no. No, this is not. Right, I don't expect her artwork to be Van Gogh or Picasso or whatever. I expect it to be her best. If she's going to give it, to give her best. And so I was like, no, I, I, I'm not, no. Like, I have to save a lot of things. This doesn't make the cut. Now, there's been many times since then that Shelly has given me her best, her, her, her hardest work, and those are acceptable, right? I'm like, oh, thank you so much. That's so wonderful. You love this story, don't you, baby? I can tell, right? <laughs> but I mean, like, like some offerings, if there's no thought, if there's no care, there's no concern, you look at it and you're like, oh, why? Why would someone give me this? And that's what God did when he looked down at the two sacrifices, right? It says he had regard for Abel's offering. He's like, man, Abel, thank you so much. And then he looked over at Cain's offering, and he's like, huh, great. What am I going to do with this? Right? Now, I, I, this is not a, a giving sermon. I'm not going to spend much time talking about giving, but I will just spend a little section here for us guys. Um, a lot of us, like myself included, we feel like we're giving God a favor when we give him anything. We're like, well, I tossed a 20 in the plate. God, you're welcome. Right? Or I got on and I, I put my little church giving in real quick on the website. I hit submit. You're welcome, God. You should be grateful that I gave you anything. Um, this, this passage tends to lead us to think that God has regard for some things and not for other things. Right? So, so whenever it is that you're giving, 
Whenever it is you're giving ostensibly to God, give generously. Give of your best. You know, give to the point that it affects you in some way or another. That's all I'm going to say about that because this isn't really a giving passage. This passage is about jealousy. You know, jealousy is a sneaky, sneaky thing, right? We don't, we don't always understand what makes us feel jealous. But in this moment when God somehow showed his favor for Abel and his disdain for Cain, Cain became jealous of his brother. He looked at his brother and he said, I wish I was getting what he is getting. I wish I was being regarded like he's being regarded. I wish that that was me who was favored and not him. And jealousy is a natural human emotion. We all experience it at different times. Sometimes you see someone and they drive by you in a car and you're like, huh, that would be nice. And I would like that right there. Maybe, you, you know, we, we live in this social media world where everyone's traveling constantly. I don't know how people travel constantly, but you get on you know, Facebook or Instagram and you see people and they're always other places doing other things. And it's always glamorous, right? It's never a picture of my living room after the baby rips it apart, right? That's never the picture on Facebook, right? It's never of that. It's never a pile of dishes that need to be washed because there's eight people in the house eating. That's never it. It's always perfect and perfection. And we look at those lives from the filtered world that we see and we're like, man, I wish. I wish I could have that. I wish I could have that trip. I wish I could have that house. I wish I could have that car. Guys, jealousy is natural. It's inside of us. And really, like jealousy by itself isn't necessarily sinful. Right? When it turns into coveting, that becomes sinful. When we say, I'm gonna, I, I want that deeply in my heart, and it affects us. But, but just feeling in a moment like, boy, I wish I had that. Is it necessarily sinful? It's natural. It's just part of who we are. It's what we do with it that matters. Because God intervenes in this moment when jealousy is overwhelming in Cain's life. And he says, hey, Cain. And Cain's like, yeah. He's like, I see what's going on here. I see that you're upset. I see that you're mad at your brother. I see that you're jealous at your brother. And you need to get a hold of yourself. Because if you don't get a hold of yourself, sin is crouching at the door. Right? Sin is crouching at the door and it will pounce on you. See, jealousy opens the door for sin to become more destructive. Right? It opens the door for more destructive sin. And so when you feel in that moment, when you're envious of your, your sibling or when you're envious of your, your neighbor or you're envious of your coworker or of your boss or of anybody, just recognize in that moment, sin is crouching at the door seeking to cause a more destructive moment in your life. And God warns him, he says, look, you must rule over it. You cannot be the victim here. You've got to rule over that sin. Guys, be careful when you're viewing other people's lives. Be careful when you're viewing the blessings that other people are receiving and wishing that they were yours because it can lead us to do terribly tragic things. We know the story of Cain and Abel, many of us, and here's what happens next, starting in verse, in verse 8. It says, Cain spoke to his Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed 
him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And Abel re- or Cain replied, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Guys, here's here's the deal with with sin as it crouches at the door and temptation that leads us to the point that we can be um, overcome with more destructive sin. Guys, there are consequences when we give in to those things. When, when we lose the control, when we stop ruling over our emotions, when we stop ruling over what we're feeling, and we allow jealousy and envy to, to sneak away at us, and then to be overcome and do something destructive, there are consequences that happen. Cain did not rule over himself, and he raised up and he killed his brother. He murdered his brother in cold blood. The first man born on earth murdered his brother. Terrible, tragic, amazing, right? One quarter of the earth's population was wiped out in that moment. That's insane, by the way, right? Like we got a flu going around right now. Imagine if it wiped out one quarter of the earth's population, right? That would be something absolutely tragic, terrifying. Adam and Eve were looking down at their children, and all of a sudden they had two, now they have one. The world is changed dramatically in that moment because Cain chose sin instead of ruling over his emotions instead of doing well like he was instructed to do instead of giving something better if he wishes to receive the favor of god or instead of controlling his own emotions he gives into it and he acts out of his rage a lot of us have done that right we've acted out of our rage we we, we lost control of ourselves we thought we were in control, we thought we were in control, and then all of a sudden we look back at us and we're like, whoa, what happened? I lost it. I was doing okay, I was doing okay, and then this final thing happened, and I lost my mind. And that's what happened to Cain, he lost his mind, he murdered his brother. God shows up, which same way he showed up to Adam and Eve, right? And he asks questions, God asks questions to Cain because he wants Cain to come to confession. Just like Adam and Eve came to confession, he says, hey, where are y'all? They come out of hiding. And he's like, hey, uh, they're like, we're naked. And he's like, well, who told you you were naked? And immediately they begin to confess the story of how they were tempted by the snake and the woman uh, took and then she gave to Adam and he took. And we have this whole story that's recounted back to God. They give confession of what they did. God tries the exact same thing with Cain. Cain, you know, where's your brother? And Cain's like, I don't know. How am I supposed to know where he is? And God's like, look, I, was, I wasn't asking. And this is like, God is omnipresent, omniscient. He knows everything. He's all places at all times. Like he witnessed the murder. He, he knew about the murder. He has all this knowledge about everything that's ever gone on and ever will go on. He's not asking Cain to tell him something he doesn't know. He's giving Cain a chance to make confession. I do this with my kids. You might as well, right? I know what my kids did, and I just ask them. I say, hmm? Right, and I point at whatever the thing is that's obviously messed up, and I'm like, hmm? Right, what happened? Remember when Seth started driving, 
uh, he, he was driving uh, my, my white Explorer, and I go out on the side of it, and there's like this gray scratch going down the length of it. And I'm like, hmm? And he's like, yeah, I didn't want to move your car, so I kind of like tried to work my way out of the driveway without moving your car and rubbed it against the basketball goal. And I'm like, there you go, right? Full confession about what you did. Which kids have I not thrown under the bus today? I'm ready. All of y'all are going down today. <laughs> I, got, I got other people's kids ducking out of the way trying to avoid getting shot on this right now. No, right? God gives him a chance to make confession. He gives him a chance. He's been caught. He gives him a chance to say, look, where's your brother? He's like, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that question, by the way, is yes. Yes, you're your brother's keeper. That's true for you today. You are responsible for those people who God has put in your life. You should care for them. The church, you are our keepers. One another, you should keep one another. It's a big deal to be your brother's keeper. Take it seriously. Cain's trying to walk away from that. Like, I don't know, man. He just goes. He's up. I don't know. It's not my problem. And since Cain refused to make confession, the consequences Cain experienced were pretty severe. He said, you're no longer going to be able to farm like you're able to farm. It's not going to, you're going to be barely scratching out an existence, and you're not going to stay here. You're going to wander. You're going to wander the world just, just aimlessly with no place to call your home, and you can't be here. And Cain immediately recognizes this exile consequence. This is a great consequence he has. is more than he wants to take on. Guys, consequences for sin are serious. It's always serious. Sin is serious business. Sometimes we look over it like it's not. Sometimes we say, well, I didn't kill somebody, so it's not that big of a deal. But sin is a serious thing. God takes it seriously, and the consequences for sin are serious. And so God, uh, in his his grace and providence, looks at Cain. I'm just going to kind of summarize the last little section here. He looks at Cain, and he says, uh, Cain's like, look, if I wander, someone's going to find me, and they're going to kill me. Because they're going to hear about what I did. Now, I don't know how there's other people wandering the earth right now. That's a problem y'all can deal with later, okay? But he knows that when he goes out wandering from his home with his mom and his dad and his formerly alive brother, and he goes out wandering, that people are going to find him, and they're going to know what he did, that he's the person who killed somebody, and they're going to raise up, and they're going to kill him. And he's probably right. That's probably what would have happened. And so God, in his grace, bestows a mark on Cain and says, this mark will be placed on you and it will protect you, and anyone who kills you will be punished more severely, seven times more severely, if they kill you. Right? And so God providentially gives grace to the sinner. I love this about God, that he looks at sinners who have chosen sin, who were warned to avoid sin, who jumped into sin and then uh, lied about their sin when they were caught in it, which is me oftentimes. Like I've been warned not to do something and then I get caught doing it. And then when I'm caught, I'm like, I don't know. Right? Like this is my story oftentimes, yet God still is gracious to the sinner. The grace of God is evident in both Testaments, the Old and the New Testament. It is most fully seen in the face of Jesus Christ, though. Right? Jesus Christ came to earth and, and gave us something that none of us deserve. Right? We deserve death and hell. We deserve eternal separation 
from God, but the grace of God manifest in the face of Jesus Christ gave us a sacrifice that was suitable to give us eternal life. God has always been gracious to the sinner. If you're here today and you're thinking, man, my life, uh, I've been running my own way, I've been doing my own thing, and I'm way too far for God, I want you to know you're not too far for God. His grace reaches you too. His grace is near to you now. He can forgive and save you today. You're not too far gone. God is near to the sinner. He was near to Cain. He's near to me. He's near to you. Then we have this long story that goes on out of here about Cain's children. And the point of that passage, and it's, I guess it picks up in verse 17 and goes all the way through Lamech's uh, crazy boast at the end of verse 24. The point of Cain's genealogy is to show things kept going. They kept having kids, and at the end of that little line of having kids, it was worse than where it was. And you know, that's what sin is, guys. It's, it's just a whirlpool of death. And you start up here, and it looks okay, and no one really knows what you're into, and no one really knows what you're up to, and you, you look like a, a good citizen of Rockdale, Texas, or of Milan County, and then things get a little worse, and maybe some of your friends begin to pick up on the fact that you're, you're not what you said you were. Maybe your, your spouse has picked up on that, so you've got to leave them because they've found out who you really were. And then it goes a little further down there, and all of a sudden, everyone can see how debased and wicked you are. Sin is a vortex of death. It spirals us in. It does not get better on its own. Cain had kids, 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 kids. And at the end, you got this guy who marries two different women. That's wrong, by the way. Don't do that. He marries two different women. And then he's bragging about, hey, if someone tries to kill me, right, they're going to get 77-fold. Right? They're going to get 77-fold the problems. Right? It's, it's a nasty world that sin has. But God is gracious even to those at the bottom of that pit. Even if you are as deep as you've ever been, if you feel beyond the pale of forgiveness, God is not done with you. But how do we avoid spiraling out of control? Here's, here's, here's the point of this story here, guys, is you have to root out jealousy. You have to drive out jealousy before it causes ruinous sin. You have to drive out jealousy before it ruins you as a person. If Cain had taken just a moment of reflection, if he had stepped back from his emotions, if he had stepped back from his rage, if he had stepped back from his anger and his jealousy, and he had just taken just a little bit of a breath, this whole story is different. All All of a sudden, we'll see him offering another offering. We'll see it being accepted by God. And the whole story of this part of the Bible would be dramatically, dramatically different. But he didn't do that. But you have a chance today. Cain's story is written. He's good and dead now. Long time dead. You are not. What will you do when envy and jealousy sneak into your world? What will you do when you see other people getting treatment that you wish you had? What will you do when you feel like your mama favors this kid over that kid? What will you do? Be careful. Be cautious. Because jealousy will ruin you pull back from that today and as you pull back from that today 
as you, as you remove yourself from the emotions and the anger and the rage and the things that you feel, lean into the grace and love of God. He is near to you today, and he will help you overcome those things that you feel. Call out to God, and he will help you with your jealous, jealous heart. Let me pray for us.